Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the most explored game dev podcast in the world, House of Games. Today, I'm joined by my host, who is by no means scared of exploring stuff, you perv. Oh no! And if that was not enough, we are joined by another plant-based zombie apocalyptic explorer, Joel. But before I let you go mental with a baseball bat, Mr. Joel, please bash down that door and let us in to this week's episode of House of Games. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of House of Games. As usual, we have a special guest with us today, and I think without further ado, would you like to tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Joel Fellbom. I work as one of the head of educations at Future Games. Me particularly, mostly in Bood and uh, Skellefteå. But I oversee some projects here and there. I have been working at Future Games for like 2.5 years now. I started as a consultant, just getting hired to do some lectures about the gaming industry. My specialty is, to be honest, both game art and UX and game design relating to gaming industry. And somehow, some way, I've been doing this now for since like forever, but as I said, it's 2.5 years. So I'm very happy to be here and talk about our educations and me and the world of education, because that's my specialty. Perfect. And before we go any further, for those who don't know, could you just give us a sort of elevator pitch of Future Games? What is it and what does that do? Absolutely. So Future Games is, I would say, it's probably the biggest gaming education in Sweden by now. We are a multi-site school with sites in Karlstad, Malmö, Stockholm, Boden, Skellefteå. Also this year we're going to start in Poland, in Warsaw, and as well in Nordreisa, Norway, pretty soon. I think we are quite good at what we do. About 15% of the Swedish gaming industry was educated by us. And it's, I think... Honestly, it's been over 5,000 students now have been gone through the door of Future Games. And I don't think the Swedish game industry is the same without Future Games. And I can say that way before I started working there. I have very little to do with that. It's been going on for like 15 years. So I've just been there for a second in time. Yeah, I, I've got to ask straight away. I assume you have a lot of students. So maybe it's difficult to answer this question. But are there any big AAA games that have been released by students that have been to Future Games? Or do you know if there has been students studying at Future Games and then been joining bigger teams like EA or Rockstar or whatever? Absolutely. And to be honest, every major AAA studio in Sweden have many, many Future Games students. DICE, I have multiple students that come from Skellefteå to DICE. Many, many students that work at, let's say, Starbreeze is one of those studios that at one time in history was the majority of Future Games students, or rather, ex-students. So, and both globally as well. Like We have not only games, people go to Ericsson, Meta, Facebook, whatever. I don't know how this is, how it became this thing, but it's a very, very powerful machine in the global game industry and uh, more interesting things we've done we just signed a contract with CD Projekt Red in Poland so yeah so they're actually gonna come and teach at our schools in Poland and stream that to all the other sites in Sweden and so on and we're gonna have lectures together with them and so on and we already started that a little bit so it's like this massive project going on right now cool ah 
That explains Warsaw. Yeah, cool. How do you apply to future games? Like, do you have to have previous experience or can you come in as like a noob and just get started? It's a little bit different because we got quite a few programs. The easiest, always not, it's a hard word. I don't want to say the lowest level, but we have Convux, a Swedish adult school education that's called Convux, where you can join. It's called Indie Spelutveckling. That is about, it's more like everything. Then we have the game artists, we have the game VFX and animation, game design, game program, and so on and so forth. And those tend to be a little bit harder to get into. We get about between 100 to 300 applicants. Then we have 35 seats. So it's a lot of applicants per seat. But go to our webpage, you press apply to education. You normally send in your like portfolio links and a work sample. And if you we deem that to be high enough quality, you get placed in a for a second test, which is a written test, where we ask you a bit different questions. These questions changes every year because we don't want students to be able to find old results or old questions. And then we do a combination of these points. And then based on that, you get accepted or not, or placed on a like, reserve list. What kind of questions? Like, can you give one from previous years? Yeah, we focus a lot on your ability to work in a team because we know that we can teach you to be a game developer. Of course, it helps if you have previous experience, but that's what we're best at. But what takes a lifetime to learn is to be a good human, to be honest, and a social interactive person that can work in a team in a good way. So it's like talk about conflicts, talk about conflict solution, problems you had in teams and how you solve it and so on and so forth. Interesting. I just went to an indie meetup here in Tokyo yesterday and I talked to this guy who had been working on a lot of big AAA games. We talked for like ages, but he interesting he lives in vietnam and worked like freelancing so he's living like a king over there but the point is that he uh, so i told him that like you know i i make my own games i'm just a solo developer but i really want to be a part of a team and then we got talking and he's like yeah that's something you should try like or try to get into a company and you get that experience because if you even if you want to grow as an indie developer that's one of the skills you need to be a part of a team and I told him like I feel like I'm so spoiled at this point because I do games by myself and I do what I want to do there is no one to tell me no ever so I never have to compromise with anyone I never have to you know go back and forth or anything like that and this is what I got quite curious about this indie combux thing because my wife and I we might move back to Sweden I'm sort of desperate to to get an education under my belt because I have none and also this sounds just perfect but even for someone like me who have already published games and all that could I also is there a chance that I could get into this as well or is it just sort of preserved to people who are not in the industry at all no, it's for anyone. Especially during the COVID years, we saw that both people were experienced and published a couple of games, as well as people from completely different industries. We have this lady called Annalena. She worked as a project manager in totally different industries. She came to us in Skellefteå. Back then, we had this education called Project Management in IT and Games. She is over 50 years old. I think she's okay with us telling you her age. She went to that, and now she works at King cool wow so it's literally for everyone and she very little game experience before that or she just had an interest so yeah cool and i was just curious also could you give us an overview of what you can learn at these different locations is it the same at all of these locations or is it different per location 
It's a little bit different. I'm going to do this on top of my head. I might not be 100% sure because it changes every year. But when it comes to, let's start with Calsta. We have currently game program and mobile platform students going on. I think this is the last, what you say, last year of those students. We will not have that next year. But what we have is game artist and we have applied for a couple of others. So hopefully we're going to have multiple educations in Calsta as well. In Stockholm, we have game designer, a specialization year, because this is where it gets interesting, because we have game designers, which is just a two-year education, but in Stockholm and in Malmö, it's 2.5 years, so it's a little bit different. And when I said that, I'm not entirely sure we got game designer in Malmö, because it's so many so different, but in general, we have a game artist, game designer, game programmer, those are the three major ones that we want to have on every site. We currently don't have that on every site because the government, we apply to run this education for the government. And every year we compete with all the other game educations in Sweden, as well as other educations for this budget to run this because we are government founded. So it is quite interesting, the politics behind it and so on. But that wasn't a question. So in Kleft we have also have gaming UX designer instead of game designer. So it's more based on the market in Kleftu and Boden and North, where it's a little bit more mobile based. And we want to have, uh, of course, there's less companies in the North of Sweden. So we want to have an education that some of students can go into the IT industry instead of game industry and so on, just to fill up and make sure that they get the jobs they're looking for after the education is done. In Boden we also have QA, game testers, which is a unique one. And in Stockholm, we also have this immersive experience creator, which is a VR, AR education. So that's pretty much the combination of all of those. But please check the homepage for up-to-date information because it changes. Yeah, I was going to say, it's in Poland, the government is supporting CD Projekt Red, if I remember correctly. And it sounds like the Swedish government is supporting this. I thought that was quite a cool, there's something there. But I had no question with that, just what do you call it? something that popped up in my mind but i this is also for foreigners right because we have interviewed people who are who are studying at your school or these schools so how does that work like the people who apply from sweden versus abroad is it like certain spots for foreigners and certain for swedes or is it just the best gets in yeah no it's a little bit different because in sweden we have you apply through the eho antagning which is a site that handle almost all yrkes utbildningar i yrkeshögskola or vocational schools uses for acceptance and they compete against each other but while the foreign applications and those are a little bit different depending on the country like if you're from some scandinavian countries plus some extras you it's free to go to our school because the government like says the finnish government will give you csn and you're free to apply to all the Scandinavian plus region schools. But we also have many students from like India, some Americans, some British and so on. And sadly, they have to privately finance it. And I think we are quite a lot cheaper than, let's say, an American college education, because those are insane, obviously. So with them, they get to apply. But just because you are a paying person, it doesn't mean you get in. Because mm. we need to have okay level of people entering our school. Because if they are too far from each other in skill level, it would be impossible to teach at the high speed that we need to. Because mm. two years is not a long time to take someone from a beginner to a AAA level game designer, game artist or game programmer. So they have to do pretty much the same test. It's a little bit different, but we look at their portfolios, previous experience, cover letters, and so on and so forth. And a written test. 
Okay, so say that somebody is interested to going through one of these educations. How should one prepare for this? So say that you're starting at, you don't even know, you know, you can use a computer, but that's pretty much it. You know nothing about, say, art or programming or whatever. So to prepare yourself for one of these courses, what should you prepare yourself with or what kind of base level is required to apply or to be able to be successful. Take my wife, she can be a perfect example here because she is quite interested in this, but she knows fuck all. I mean, she can't even turn on a computer. Yes, that one might be a little bit challenging, but not impossible, <laughs> to be honest. I think the first thing, know what you're interested in. Because the one that become good artists are probably already an artsy person. It doesn't have to be 3D graphics, but maybe they like to create jewelry or make wood sculptures or what have you. Just have a sense for images, form, structure and so on. While programmers, I would say it's very hard to get in without having a good previous programming experience. In game design, it can be a little bit of both. You probably have an interest in creating worlds or rule sets or whatnot. Maybe you made your own board games for fun with friends or card games. You make up rules to your poker night games or whatnot. And I would highly, highly recommend that sit down and learn either Unity or Unreal, so a game engine, because we work in game engines. That's why we are game developers. And there are some programmers who made their own game engine and they are like, oh, welcome, please come in here. Door is open. So work with what you want to do. What's the least resistance, so to say. And then try to... YouTube is great. We obviously use YouTube even like instead of books nowadays. We might watch these YouTube videos. We got the GDC, we got the game development vault and so on. And so much content for free out there. So, and also Unreal and Unity have their free learn platforms. So Unity Learn is great. Just sit down and do the first Unity Learn pathway. And then you should have basic understanding of a game engine and even some programming. Is that what it's called, Unity Learn? Yes, Unity Learn. It used to be a premium product, but it's free now. So yeah, that sounds interesting. I think that's useful information. Like my wife, for example, she's really, she seems to be very interested in the programming parts because when she watched me program, it seems to just click with her when I just sort of basically, in my own words, try to explain to her what's happening. And she sort of seemed to get it, but she really don't know how to use computers and all that. You need to learn. That's a good start from what I can tell. And I will pass that along. Yeah, I think you should. It's a great resource. Good. And I was just curious, the Warsaw location, so what kind of course do you have there? Is that something similar to Sweden or is it a generalist course? Or It's uh, similar to Sweden. In fact, we are planning, uh, we in the north actually have, if this haven't changed because I've been on vacation, you never know what decisions you come back to when you work as a, quite a large company. But we in the north are going to kind of be overseeing the first year to make sure it goes quite fluent because this is going to be the first year of the cooperation with City Project Red and the Warsaw School. So they will have the game programming, game artist and game design educations. And we will run some of those lectures from Sweden streamed to the sites and we will also stream from Poland to Sweden. So it will be a kind of collaboration that way. Everything, all the rest should be kind of the same. One of our like big things is the large game projects, three to four 
depending on which educations you attend game projects where you get to between three to seven weeks create your own games together in team of like 10 to 15 other students from all the different disciplines and it will be just the same in Poland so it's uh, super interesting yeah very very cool and it's uh, such a big name to be working with as well yeah I'm not sure I've heard any other like big AAA studio that is working with an educational company to just teach some of the I don't know tricks of the trade or what you call it so to speak. So that's really, really cool. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is also part of the need for a, like a larger game industry in Poland. Because it all starts like companies, educations and so on have to go hand in hand for it to be able to grow. And I know that CD Projekt Red have to hire a lot internationally, like almost every game company have to, because it's not enough talents in their own country. And of course, it's plus with getting different views from different regions so on, but it's still, if you want to have the foundation of your company, it should be maybe based in your own country. So, I want to ask you to clarify, is the Convux part and the future games the same thing, or is it two separate schools? It is and it isn't. It's a little bit different because it's not an EH education or a vocational school, since it's Convux. It's, but it's still future games. It's, it's ours. It's our personnel and it's so on and so forth. So it's just a different instance in Sweden, so to say. So the Convux part, is that for foreigners as well, or is that only for Swedes? That is a very good question. I actually don't know how that works. Okay. Because I feel like Convux is something for Swedes only, maybe? I, I don't know. I have no clue. But interesting. Okay. No, that's very interesting. I should look into that, but I don't know from top of my head. So. Okay, no worries. I've got to ask, like, do you think... So this, is, this question is not necessarily about future games, but maybe it could be. But do you think teachers from future games and stuff, like, do you think they will ever merge into high schools and, like, universities? Like... What's the school called before university? That's high school, right? Yeah, gymnasium in Swedish. Yes, there we go. So do you think we will ever see game programs in high schools as well? Yes, in fact, they already exist. Oh. So like in Boden, like North Sweden, we have Björknäs Gymnasiet, who have, it's called a national game dev gymnasium. It's a part of the aesthetic program with like but you do game dev instead of like drawing or music as your speciality oh wow yeah and empty gymnasium and so on and so forth there are quite a few nowadays actually do you think that i could for example because when i went to school i went to plumber high school so i'm a plumber but i did if you remember you could pick certain classes i picked like cad cad 3d tools stuff and I remember I picked art as well, because those two were not a part of the plumbing program. So I picked those two. Do you think that that will also become a thing in the future? Like where I can educate myself to become a plumber, but I can also pick game design as a extra thing just for the points or whatever. I, I barely remember how it works, but I think you got points for picking these things. Absolutely. And I can't say for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if that already is a possibility in many 
different school, especially like the large ones, like what is called in Borås, something, something, LTU, maybe something like that. So I, I actually think that existence is a possibility because in Sweden we have a giant lack of high-level game developers. We have to import quite a lot of people every year. So speaking of that, so you mentioned that a lot of big game companies need to hire internationally because just a pool of staff or a pool of applicants isn't big enough in one single country. So you will have to get all of the skills from wherever you can get it. So as a big educational company, do you feel any of the same effects that you need teachers from abroad or is it possible to get it all from Sweden or Poland or what is the situation? No, absolutely. We have to, it's very hard to find teachers that have the time and the knowledge, to be honest. I think there are names, but it's also every gaming education fights for these names. And we work a lot with consultants. Let's say you have a four-week course in network programming. We don't expect our in-house staff like me. I'm a game developer. My colleague, Ahmad Priabudman, he is a game artist, but he specializes in concept art 2D and so on. He works with me in Kolefjian Boden. He is from Ubisoft before that and so on and so forth. But his knowledge, when he starts like teaching, he is not working full-time in a studio anymore. So it's then we have to hire someone who have our current skills to come in and teach things that's more difficult than the fundamentals. We in-house staff, we are the fundamentals. We teach, this is what a 3D program is, this is how you make 3D, this is how you... We can teach up to 80%, I think. But then the last 20% has to be current cutting-edge theory, and hunting these people down and hire them is the time-consuming part. It's a large part of my job as a head of education is just trying to find consultants. So say that in you go to this education and you work as a game developer for many years and you get a lot of experience and then you feel you want to give back to what started it all. So if we look at the flip side, if you want to become a game development teacher, what is required for that? Or, you know, what can you do to become that, for example? Yeah, I want to be that one day. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. And we have, I think, still a couple of ads out to fill next year's permanent positions or 50% positions on. And literally know your craft and be someone who can teach. If you are the person that takes care of interns, maybe at the company, or if you're a person that teaches a lot in-house or write in-house documentation and so on, you're probably the right person. I have never been the most skilled person in my field but I've been a social person and I've been a helpful person and I've been decently skilled of course in this industry everything's about portfolio and so on but you don't have to be the best at that you just have to be 10% better than the ones you're teaching it's one of those numbers you hear all the time I don't know if that's statistically factual but you hear it and for our consultants it's like contact us I can almost always promise that there is a job for you as a programmer or artist or whatnot for let's say a couple of weeks every now and then. We also give back to the game industry like that. Especially like, let's say you started an, like an indie game project and you know it's going to take two years. And as we all know, founding for an indie project can be hard. It can be very difficult to find. So in Karlstad, we have this programmer teacher. He worked as a CEO and programmer at his indie company. 
and then he come and be a mentor on site in Karlstad like eight hours a week just to help with the finances. So that's also a possibility. So what are you saying here? Like like an indie developer who's who looks for fundings, someone like me, for example, I could get that from future games? Yeah, while working as a teacher. So we pay you for your teaching skills. So Ah, I see, see. And that's the fundings. Yes, exactly. Ah, okay, cool. Man, like I, I said this many times on this podcast or privately, like even in this field, we're screaming for talents in Sweden. It's just so... Oof. I worked in this facility. I have nowhere near the education you need to work there, but I got the job anyway because they're desperate for people. Now, I loved it. The, the people living there loved me, so it was it worked out just fine. But even in this field, it sounds like we just need people. So if you're a goddamn foreigner, listen to this, move to Sweden and stop working. We need you. It's just... Every field, it seems like, they need people, which makes it really frustrating when 20% of the population are unemployed, but that's another topic for another day. But man, it sounds sounds like we need you. So please come over here and, uh, and work. Absolutely. And well, that can also be another discussion with how hard it can be to enter Sweden. Like our students here, it's like a waiting time for 1.5 years just to get your work permit or student permit, so on, so... Yeah, my wife and I, we wait two and a half years. She's got her visa to Sweden, that's why. But now we're back in Japan, so I, I don't know what we're going to do. But anyway. Well, congratulations on that visa then, I guess. It's always good to have the opportunity to go, whether you want to or not. But Thanks. Anyhow, I was just on the topic of entering Sweden. So I have been to a couple of events actually here in Stockholm, like Afterworks and stuff, where there's been a lot of students from future games for example episode 21 and 31 we talked to two of the students but i do notice that both of them were from different parts of the world and a lot of the students are from it's actually from the ones i've met there's few from sweden and then a lot of people from the other side of the world so that's really exciting but i'm just curious how do these people from all over the world find this stuff because it feels like it's so you know you feel like sweden is just this little country and all of a sudden someone comes from somewhere in iran and manages to get into a future games education so that's really fascinating i think i think i can answer that a little bit because i actually have that information because when we look at the applicants every year we have this question we ask them where did you hear from future games and in general i would say the majority is through uh, both following like people that teach at future games on linkedin because we have quite some large names like eric ottman that used to be the head of ux at the dice is quite common name to see olifara for star stable Arthur Foxander works at Mojang currently and also worked at Paradox and so on and so forth and many, many, many other names. That is one big, but I would say the absolute largest one is our ranking on the rookies, which is like this page for students and school in game development. And it's like thousands of school competing about a placement. And at our best, we were considered the second best school in the world, according to the rookies. Currently, we're top 10, I think, something like that, and the best in Northern Europe. And every year it changes. So if you listen to this in one year, we might be top 25. Then next year, hopefully top five, top two, so on and so forth. But we have a very high placement. And I think of those schools in the top 10, I would be very surprised if we're not the cheapest one to attend. Because... 
we take the same price from our international students as we would from the amount we get paid from the Swedish government to teach. It's quite similar, I think. This is not my expertise. I don't know this for a fact. I'm not a budget person, but I think that is quite accurate. Very cool and well done on that good ranking. So I'm curious of how do you rank schools who teach video game development? Is there some sort of, you know, how many people get jobs or is there, you know, what kind of measurements do you use? Yeah, I hope that is part of it. I am no expert in how that those ranking works. I mostly scream at my students to upload your work on the rookies. Make yourself seen. This is how you get hired. Because they have these competitions like Rookies of the Year, Game of the Year, and so on and so forth. And based on these ones, I guess, and some information they collect from the schools and so on, they do some kind of ranking. All I know is totally independent. They don't, And that's what makes it exciting. It's for students. It's independent. We as a school don't have any say in... We can't buy a ranking, so to say. That's how it's supposed to be. It's just for the benefit of the students or want-to-be students. How does a day look like for you? I mean, it's, what, Thursday today? And you have blurred out your background, but I think I see a guitar hanging on the wall, so I assume you're not in your office. (laughs) But how does a day look like? Can you just go through as a teacher, like from morning to, well, when you finish work? Absolutely. My main title is head of education, but I'm also a head teacher. So it's an administrative work and it's a teaching job. And I try to split those quite evenly. The administrative work is maybe the, a little bit more boring. I mostly sit in Microsoft Excel, just as most game designers do. Something we don't talk about enough, that your main tool as a game designer is Excel. And I look at budgets, I see what I need to hire, I make schedules, and so on and so forth, and talk to students that might have fallen behind or need some extra help, or if they like have some kind of learning disorder, if we can help to get them the support they need, and so on and so forth. That's the administrative work. And then there is the teaching work, which is the second half of the week, which is pretty much Monday, Tuesday. I like to have, like, from 9 to 12, have some kind of theoretical lecture. can be, let's say, level design. And then we talk, depending on where on the school year it is, it's different levels, either the basics or more advanced, and so on and so forth. They get lecture, and then... Tuesday, we like to start a practical project for the week or two week or four week or whatever, because we are a practical school. Theory is great, but it's not worth anything in the end in your portfolio that you, if you just write, I know these things and you can show them, it's not worth anything. So we work in projects 99% of the time. And that is what I like to start off every week. We have a project or every second week or something like that. And it can be like together with five teammates create a level design based on a phobia and then uh, they have mentoring in the week like technical mentoring with let's say an unreal programmer on friday they come back and show what they've been working on do like a presentation in front of the entire class or if we don't have time they record a presentation that i can look at so that's how we tend to work always like practical work usually in a game engine so that's the life of a teacher and the life of a student as much as possible we may make the work at a game studio Nice. I like that. When I went to this plumber high school, one of the first things my teacher told me was, plumbers don't get homework. We ain't gonna do some fucking homework. So we didn't have, like, in high school, I never had homework. So that was nice, especially as a (laughs) shit student as I. But that sounds very nice that it's focusing on practical things and mimicking the working life of a game developer. Really cool. 
Yes, yes, yes. And I think worth mentioning is also the large game projects, as I mentioned a little bit before, are also like the main point where it is very like one-to-one as close as you can get in education to real game studio work. And then we usually take in like industry experts that sit in the jury, midterm mentors and so on that come in and talk with them. This can be super experienced people from maybe not one person in the teams if they haven't done large things before, but maybe like small in the teams to AAA companies and everything in between that come and look at your games. And imagine a student, you work three weeks on your first game and this dude from DICE comes in and gives you feedback on this. It's both scary, but it's also an incredible learning opportunity. But that kind of feedback, is that based on how well the game is going to sell? I, I, I feel like I always ask this to, to our guests working on games. Like, what do you want? Do you want just to make as much money as possible? Or is it... Sometimes you might want to say no to that feedback and go for the artistic vision instead. Absolutely. And we tend to give them, because it's still a learning experience with school, so we usually have a theme. So it's based on how well you met our, like we might give you some design pillars to stand on or a theme. Like last game project I was in, we had this theme, uh, Natural Phenomenon. So people did games about lightning and fire and you name it. And then the jury gave feedback on how well they met criteria and also how much potential it has. But also different members have different things they are looking for. So some are like, oh, I really love the aesthetics of this. It could be like a perfect game, but I don't think it's a market for this. And that's fine for educations, I think, because the learning is the number one thing we are looking for. So it's okay to have a bad game project if you leveled up a lot while doing that. You learned how to fail. Because that's it's safe in school. You can fail. You don't lose any money while failing. It's better to fail as often as possible in school. And then take the feedback you get from team and you start in your professional life. Mm. Interesting. I think I can also bring up about the internships. Because that's something interesting that sets us apart from university educations. Because there are university educations in game development. But those tend to not have mandatory internships. While we have usually an entire term, like almost six months or sometimes more, where you do your internship at a game studio. You pretty much go there and be a part of the production team from day one, pretty much. And I think that's also so, so important. Because it's so hard to get to the right level just being in school with theory lectures and projects if you don't get to try it out in real life. So what do you mean by a production team? Future Games, is that also a company that makes games? Or what does that mean? No, well, we have a Steam publishing, but in this case, no. They apply to other companies to do the internships, like DICE or King or Star's Table or whatever. Ah, I see. Via Future Games. Yeah, while they are students at us. Ah, I see. Cool. Yeah, and it's a little bit complex because they have the responsibility to find these themselves. We, of course, help with contacts and we have this recruitment gala called Ting, where companies come to us and meet our students and can book interviews with students they see potential in. And we try to get all students at least one or two interviews with companies to come and visit. So it's like a recruitment fair. And then they find their internships and the internships for Swedish students are, of course, they get their CSN, their student loan money or student founding, so they can do these internships and still have income, which is nice. Some studios have paid internships, but it's quite rare in Sweden. It happens, but not that common. And then after that, they usually get hired at the studio they do the internship at, because they've already been there six months doing the project. 
working on a real project. So it sounds exactly like my plumber school. Like we also had internships at plumber firms. I would be so curious to see how it is to do internship for like say let's say dice while you're studying at Future Games. Because when I did internships at plumbing firms, all they did was dissing school. Like this shit they teaching you school their fucking school and then they just do this whatever they were constantly dissing the school so i would be quite curious to see how it would be <laughs> to have an internship as a professional gaming company when you're a student i assume they wouldn't diss education but that's the world of plumbing i'm sure there's a little bit of that isn't that part of it <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be I can imagine you have students coming back after an internship and being a little bit well, snobbish, like, well, I know how to do shit now. Very much. That's why we <laughs> tend to have it at the end of education, so we don't have to listen to that. <laughs> That's the exciting part of this work, because I have no, let's just say, I have no ambition in my own career. I just do this because it's the most fun I ever had. I just started my own company. I was like, I'm finally going to live my dream, making indie games, children books, and teach a little bit on the side. And then I had my first work at Future Games. And I was like, oh, God damn it. And I, I guess you can hire me. And then I had so much fun these couple of years. Wow, sounds exactly like me. I do indie games and also think about children's books. And I'm also interested in teaching. But I was thinking more like normal schools and just bangs and fucking sends into these spoiled shits that grow up nowadays. So the education that you have, is that setting you up for strictly getting employed somewhere or could you also take that knowledge and try to risk it as an indie developer, for example, if you wanted? Or is there some sort of difference between the two or what would be your take on it? Yes, but is my answer. You can, of course, go the indie route. And we have some, like in the north, we have Amplifier Gaming West that are under Embracer. So I don't know how currently that's going with Embracer News, laying off a lot of projects. But historically, that's been something close to us that our students can come and talk to. We also have this game village in Jörn in north of Sweden, which are like an incubator where you can get paid decent salary to just work on your game. And some of our students have gone there. That's Mind Detonator, right? Yes, that's Mind Detonator, yes. And those two have helped students go that track. And we also had some students that went with something called Global Top Round, which is like an Asian-based investment fund coming in. And they had like this game dev conference in Lulio and have pitch training and so on. And a couple of our students actually won the pitch competition that year for a game called War Dudes. And if I remember correctly, about 100,000 Swedish kroners for game testing or for like professional testing of their game product. So they could use in their game tester network to hire professional game testers. So those exist, but we do not really teach the business or law side of it. And that's important and you need to know that. So you need to do, of course, you can make summer courses or you can read up on that on yourself or just ask some of our mentors or people that actually had run their own companies, but it's not something we can promise. It's the answer, I guess. In your capacity as a teacher, would you say that there are any types of games or genres or anything that are harder to make or easier to make or have sort of a higher threshold? Or is there any experience around that? I mean, I guess like just thinking out loud fps or maybe things that are very physics based or stuff is harder to make and maybe something that is i don't know turn based and 2d is a lot easier or do you see any trends or what's your take 
Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely see trends. And I would actually say that FPSs and physics-based things are a little bit easier to make. Because the game engines like Unreal is made for that. It's very easy to make an FPS in Unreal compared to making a, I would say, top-down RTS, like a real-time strategy game. So it depends also on the game engine you're working in. But what we see the most, I would say, is like it takes two style of cooperation games. Sometimes we have to actually forbid students from making games like that because we want to see something different. It's a lot easier to make a fun cooperative game in a short time. The part of the fun you experience while playing games come from your playmate because you're having this bound shared experience. And that's easier to create than creating a top-of-the-line 4x civilization clone or something like that that needs so much content and materials and design and programming and so on. So multiplayer games are very common. I have seen one MMORPG, which wasn't a good idea. Don't do that in seven weeks. And I have seen one really good like MOBA slash arena shooter game, something kind of like PUBG or something like that. But wouldn't that, though, uh, sort of speak of the the first one you said, that was not a good idea, an MMO, is that what you said? But at least, doesn't that show some sort of balls from the students? Like, we're going to make a fucking MMO in a couple of weeks. Or is it just, it just show how naive they are to think they could pull it off? It's both. We had this game, this last project, which was a horror-based single-player game. But their thing was they wanted to have a procedural moving animated uh, AI thinking monster that's never the same. It's not on rails to actually interact with the environment, places arms on trees and so on. And they didn't know if they could do this. Part of this project was to make something they didn't know they could do, just to level up. And of course that's a huge risk. They kind of pull it off better than we thought they would. But we let them do that because it's... They thought they could... They managed to sell the idea technically to give us an idea that they could have but it's also something if they would have failed in that and then they wouldn't have a game and then you're allowed to fail a lot and still pass the grade but if you end up with nothing let's say you want to create an mmorpg and you don't have you can't play two players in that you just are alone in a giant world without anything to do then i don't know if you actually pass the course so be brave i really want people to fail in school and challenge themselves but be somewhat realistic of what's possible. It's the balance, I think. Yeah, sort of like real life, I guess. I mean, it's great to dream and all, but the end goal is like to produce a game. So if you haven't produced a game, you sort of failed, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the criteria. And also, we actually judge them the most based on their ability to run a project, the teamwork, how they solve conflicts, and so on. Those are largely part of the grading than the actual game, which can be a little bit interesting. I'm quite curious about the students themselves, though. Are they young? Are they, like, really privileged and asshole nowadays? Or how, how, like, have you ever seen drama? Like, no, James, you totally misunderstand me. This is not what I'm in. Like, all that shit. Or are they acting as adults? I would say in general. And I might be a little bit privileged because I live in the north of Sweden and our students have usually moved here. So they already sacrifice a lot to be a student. Ah, yes. And that usually they are a little bit more adult if they do that. Mm. But of course every year there's a lot of drama. 
and I think also from absolutely younger students. And I think I would say the like median age is maybe twenty five, but we get people straight out of gymnasium. That's like nineteen, and they can both be very ambitious or they can be quite spoiled. Is not the wrong word, but with the COVID situations on, many students didn't go to a physical school for the last two years of their life. So the actual attendance in class is very low. They might do the job and do the work online and be in teams instead of being on site in school. But as we all know, learning is a lot more than just listening to a lecture. It's about the like micro communication with your classmate next to you and so on. So the ones that are spend most time in school is always without any fail the best students, and we see an upturn of that. And that's one of the larger challenges now. When the world is so used to be remote, how do we get them to come into school? Boden is a little bit easier because we our school is in Savas, so there is nothing else to do. It's Boden Business Park, <laughs> and their campus is two meter from the school. But the school in Stockholm is like in the middle of Stockholm. Mm. Of course, it's just everything to do. Even the school in like Hulefju, which is north hillbilly city, <laughs> it's still a city. So they can do things. And we're looking like Umeå maybe next year, also a city with a rich student life. How do we motivate that? And in Poland, we don't know. We have no clue what the students will be there. So that's also a challenge. If I got to choose, I would just lock the door. Just put them in, <laughs> lock the door, let them out at six o'clock or something. Let them out in two years. The ultimate escape room. Yes. Because yeah. it is that we don't want to encourage crunch but we also want to encourage you to take your work serious. Because if you're going to make it as a game developer, especially in AAA in two years, you need to spend eight hours a day minimum. And we as a school will plan 14 hours or something like that, 14 to 16 hours every week for you. Mm. And then you have the, what is it, like 20 plus hours that you have to plan and do yourself. And that's like do your own projects or like work on your own assignments. And you can turn in an assignment to get a passing grade after one week in a four-week course if you're a fast student. But why would you do that? You're sabotaging for yourself. Spend these four weeks to make this assignment the best it can be. So that's why we always say make it portfolio ready. When you're happy enough to have it in your portfolio, then you're done with the assignment. So it's this balance between school and real life. And I guess it can be similar with as a plumbing. Yes, maybe this pipe doesn't leak water, but it's outside the wall and it looks ugly. Maybe put it inside the wall next time and it would look better when you apply for a job. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, and it's a little bit like our previous guest said actually that he did a comparison between a deadline and time boxing something. So where a deadline, if I understood him correctly, is well at this point in time you have to be make everything done and that could just incur a lot of stress and stuff and the sooner the better. But with time boxing, as he explained it at least, was that you instead set it's this period, say one week to do this feature or whatever. And when it's done, that's just going to be what we use. So maybe it's great, maybe it's not that great, but we're just going to spend that time no more, no less. So something like that, I assume. Yeah, no, that, that's a good thing. That's actually what I'm doing with my current game. The graphics part of my game, it's very meh now. I know I can make it look way better. But I know that it's more important to get the, all the functions and the story and all the yeah, the functions should be in the game. And then 
even if I wouldn't upgrade the graphics later on, it's a playable game from start to finish that has everything it needs. So I like to do the those things first, or well, that's what I learned from making games in the past. Like make all the the functions work as they should first and then just the graphics looks like it looks fine I, I think it could be it could be released in this state in terms of graphics but i know that once all the functions are working and everything works you can play the game from start to finish yada 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 then i will spend three four five months on just making it look pretty i think that's a, a good approach to do it like just make shit work and all that and then the rest of the time you can use polish your project or whatever it is until it looks really amazing and then you can pop that into your portfolio as well in terms of work for students yeah no no absolutely and that's i think it seems since we try to mimic game development it's these experiences are so similar to what we are struggling with like the same you are in your projects so it's absolutely very relatable yeah and I think we have gone a little bit over an hour now, so I think it's time to close the episode. Before we do that, Rune, do you have any additional questions or anything you want to talk about? No, I'm fine. I'm satisfied. All right. And before we let you go, would you like to just let us know where to send our listeners? Do you want to promote stuff from Future Games, something from yourself, Anything you want to tell us or uh, links we should share in the description or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, I would just say for um, the most up-to-date information, because the world of game education changes very fast, about as fast as the game dev industry itself. So always check our homepage, futuregames.se, if I get semi-plug myself and Future Games at the same time. On our YouTube, you have... a. Uh, lecture from me together with Miles Toast, who is the acting lead level designer from CD Projekt Red, currently working on Cyberpunk Shadow Library, where we talk about UX in level design. Mostly me, but he <laughs> joins in the end. So please watch that to get a sense of what maybe a lecture at Future Games can look like. Also watch the trailers from our amazing students, which you tend to upload them on our YouTube. So it's Future Games EADU, EADU as in education, on YouTube. And that's pretty much it. Other than that, thank you so much for having me. It's a blast and I tend to talk too much and I could go on talking six hours more. So I think this is a good way to turn it off. It's our pleasure to have you here and we would love to have you back sometime for another episode. Maybe since things are changing so fast, we could, for example, do another episode on what has changed the last year or whatever it might be in the games industry, for example. Absolutely. I'm always up. So just let me know. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for taking the time to do the episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Rune, for being my co-host. And I have one last question for Rune, actually. Do you know what this podcast would be called if it were a bodybuilding podcast? What this podcast... House of Gains! Ooh. That's all, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye! Bye! <laughs>